0: On this episode, we discuss a smart toilet, the collapse of the SN3, and Google rolls back some changes that they implemented in Chrome. Plus, we talk about a face recognition issue that's been fixed on the Pixel 4. Finally, SP does another edition of his Space Symposium. This and more in this week's show. I'm Ryan from the Dad.io Podcast, a show dedicated to dorky dads everywhere. Part of the Gona Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other dadalicious geeky shows at gonnageeknetwork.com
1: This is the official gonnageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of Geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP.
0: Welcome to an all-new episode of the official gonna Geek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew and I am pleased to say SP is here this week.
2: I'm here, and I'm here to officially announce the show is in the crapper.
0: Uh it is just you wait. And also Chris Farrell.
3: My friends, I'm here to implore you to do one thing. Snap into a slim gym.
0: <laughs> All right, so let me ask you this, Chris Farrell. How much how much did your news this week make your day?
3: <laughs> it was the greatest news ever when we were sitting at work and one of my coworkers who was about 12 feet away because we're practicing social distancing and there was someone in between us, goes, oh my God, Dr. Toilet's real. And I went, wait, what? And then we laughed about Dr. Toilet for probably 10 minutes at work today because we have the maturity of about seven-year-olds at times. But I promise you, gonna Geek viewers, I'm going to take the Dr. Toilet story very seriously when we get to it. There's not going to be any poo jokes or messed around, at least until the end of the story. I will try and get through the headline and the main details without snickering and laughing and acting like a child
0: and that's where we're about to go right now now just to say you know make sure everybody knows i don't play favorites here obviously it's it's unusual for us at the beginning of the show to spend time leading up to a news point. But SP, if you want to bring a toilet story to the, to the table in the future episode, I will absolutely introduce it the way that I just did Chris Farrell's.
2: Okay, I think that Chris gets all the toilet humor on this show. No,
3: to be fair, Suncast beat me on the GunnyGeek.com show with having a toilet story because he had the smart toilet story. What was it, a couple years back? He already beat me to the toilet to the toilet headlines. So congratulations to you, Suncast, (laughs) for being the first to bring a toilet story to the GunnaGeek.com show. My only hope is that I can follow in your footsteps and present something that is just as compelling and interesting.
0: So tell me. Tell me about your story, Chris Farrell.
3: Oh, man. So I don't know if you guys know this. One of my favorite sitcoms is Scrubs. There's just a nice mix of juvenile humor, serious story elements. The actors all mesh off each other really well. And there was a story near the end of it When Dr. Cox goes to a conference and they're finding out about different things and equipment they could bring into the hospital, and they're introduced to Dr. Toilet, whose job is to analyze your feces and provide diagnoses and give preventative health tips. And while Dr. Cox, not Dr. Cox, while Dr. Kelso rather is on this trip, there is an interim chief of medicine by the name of Dr. Yan Etor who decides to order one Dr. Toilet. And it's a punchline for this entire episode. And I remember laughing and going, man, that'd be great if there was a super smart toilet that could, tell, that could tell you your health status and things like that. And guys, that time is here. We now have a doctor toilet. They're calling <coughs> it the magic toilet, however. Oh. It's not doctor toilet. But I mean, we can call it that. I'm sure that when they do the rewatch, because uh, Donald Faison and uh, Zach Braff are doing a rewatch podcast for Scrubs. So I'm sure when they get to the doctor toilet episode, they can talk about the fact it's real
2: now. Is it a magic toilet because it is Dr. Strange's toilet? Well, I mean, it could be anyone's toilet for the right amount
3: of money, I assume.
0: <laughs> okay, Gandalf
3: so- the Gray's toilet? Sure, you shall not pass. He'll tell it and it'll pass.
0: So I understand that this magic toilet has uh, pressure sensors. What does. What's it sensing? What pressure is it sensing?
3: I, it's sensing the pressure of you sitting on the seat before we go too far down that oh, path. <laughs>
0: oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yes.
3: But this is a smart toilet that, like Stephen mentioned, boasts pressure sensors, but also artificial intelligence and a camera. This was unveiled by researchers as a new valuable way to keep tabs in our health. In the paper they presented, they said, we have developed a passive human health monitoring system that can be easily incorporated into a normal daily routine, requiring minimal or even no human intervention the team behind the new toilet said in a report. Writing in the Journal of Nature Biomedical Engineering, the international team of researchers note that the previous attempts attempts, at such a toilet have been expensive and provided limited information. However, this new magic toilet system can be fitted onto existing toilets and incorporates a suite of sensors and detectors. So unlike Suncast's story, where you had to buy a whole new commode, here you just strap the magic toilet pieces onto the top of your toilet and you're good to go. Now, sadly, it's not 100% without manual intervention because this toilet does include test strips that will detect telltale health markers within urine. This includes things like glucose and red blood cells, as well as capturing video recordings of your flow to spot changes that may be related to disease. This is where it gets a little creepy, the fact that there's a camera, well, a little creepier, let me rephrase. In addition, the system incorporates a camera that takes images of the user's stool. These images are then classified using a machine learning algorithm, a type of artificial intelligence, as we all know, into different categories on the Bristol stool scale, which is something I never knew existed, that will then reflect problems such as constipation or diarrhea.
2: Yeah, fancy stuff. Is it the same Bristol that there's a NASCAR race in? Or
3: Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN comes from? I don't know.
2: Yeah. Is is that what the Bristol scale is? It's like a sports-based thing? Uh, well we'll go
3: with that we'll go with that it does have other features though sp don't worry in the paper they say it was able to also collect additional information such as first stool dropping time and total seating time which can potentially be acted on by clinicians to help to manage constipation and hemorrhoids so they're going to know if you're a person likes to sit on the bowl in the morning and read the news for 10 minutes before you get started during your morning constitutional in addition to that Most inventively, as as the article puts it, the team reports the system detects who is using the toilet from a fingerprint scanner on the flush handle and what they are calling quote, anal prints, distinctive, distinctive creases in the lining of the anus, which are captured by video frames. So yes, we have a new biometric. We've got finger, we've got face, we've got iris, we've got latent prints. And now we have anal prints. I couldn't help but laugh when I read this. But they legitimately said in this report that a combination of fingerprint and anal print can be used to determine who the user is. So the magic toilet, like I call doctor toilet, can be used by everyone in the entire house. But one thing you have to know is these strips they use for urine, you've got to put fresh ones in the toilet. And they're not really positioned well for, say, people who sit on the bowl and urinate at this point in time. Because the strips are positioned on the back side of the toilet where... If you're a man and you're standing and doing your business, you'll be able to hit that target. If you're sitting, you're probably not going to be able to hit the uh, the urine strip target. But yes, there are a lot of health benefits, they argue, could be learned from a system like this. Now, whether it proves popular, that's another matter. There was a survey done of 300 individuals near Stanford University who were asked to rate what they thought of the proposed toilet. 30% said they felt uncomfortable with it, citing primarily privacy concerns, mostly with the anal print being the most disliked component. I don't know about you guys. I'm just shocked that nobody's comfortable with a camera sitting in the bottom of the bowl pointing straight up at their buttocks. What do you guys think? You going to try Dr. Toilet out? You gonna, it's got some potential health benefits. You could know. Oh, I got my report in. Oh, man, I should be eating more fiber. Damn, I should make sure I have more fiber so that things are coming out better and more healthy for all.
0: I've been staring at my camera in disbelief <laughs> for about five minutes now. because Steven,
3: of, th- that camera could be in the bottom of your toilet right now.
0: Because of the fact that this is clearly an invention that some pervert made to justify his toilet cam. That's clearly the only reason you would put a toilet ca- a camera in the toilet.
3: You mean it's not for anal printing?
0: It's absolutely not for anal printing. And this is this went from one of the, the most interesting news points to me wanting to time travel back in time and punch myself in the face for actually giving you more time at the beginning of this episode. So,
3: so in theory, then, if they removed the camera component that was used to detect the formation of the stool and how well formed it is and things like that, would you be more comfortable with a system like this? Or if it was just pointed down so that it was not looking to get the uh, so-called anal print?
0: No camera. Get rid of the camera and maybe I will. I will think about it. But the fact that they they decided to do a camera is ridiculous and they have lost me lost me. Well,
3: it, but bear in mind, this is for medical research no, at this point in time. It's for, it, this I, is not a commercial product at this point. You Steven.
0: let me know one medical system that you have ever heard of that has not been compromised somehow along the way for security purposes or security compromises. Yeah, you let me know when you find that because every, there's there's probably there, there for are everything HIPAA that. laws and things like that. I mean, this is this is ridiculous, and whoever decided to put a camera in in it, it's dumb, it's dumb. And I I retract my highlighting of your news article. Well,
3: th- there is an ickiness factor to it, but I sort of understand their theory as to why it would be helpful. It doesn't overcome the ickiness factor in my mind, but.
2: I, I get what they're trying to do. I'm not going to kink shame those out there. <laughs> Good that, answer. Good answer. Appreciate this technology, but I ain't putting it in my house.
3: Suncast wants to know if it'll also say if he has sufficiently wiped his bum.
2: <laughs> you know, there's something to be said about that because prior to coronavirus, at work, you never knew, right? The people that you work with are gross. Yes. We already knew that prior to coronavirus. And coronavirus, if you happen to be still at work and everybody's forced to wash their hands now and everything, that's that's one thing. But normal society people are gross, and I'll bet you that's part of it.
3: Now, what I want to know is when the optional bidet gets added
2: to this to make it part of your full home health suite. Like if you don't wipe your bum correctly, you get shot. No, no, no. More importantly, there's this camera there
3: to know how things are coming out and to identify you. It would know when to stop spraying you. In theory, that's the natural extension of this camera technology. Is that you don't have to sit there and I've never used a bidet, mind you, so I'm just kind of hazarding a guess here. Oh, up, up, is my butt clean yet? I don't know. Well, Doctor Toilet will know and ensure that your tushy
2: is adequately cleaned. Listener, I warned you the show is in the crapper.
3: But all right, so yes, it, this is rife for us making fun of and things like that. But the science is kind of intriguing about how you could look at a person's morning constitutional and bathroom trips and what health benefits could be gleaned from that. If you can find a way to overcome or obscure the ick factor and make it so that it doesn't make your skin crawl a little bit, I could see some potential health benefits. If you were a user of this system, because then you find out, oh, he's iron deficient or, oh, this guy's not peeing enough or, oh, this guy has frequent diarrhea that could indicate other stomach or gastrointestinal issues. So there are potential health benefits, I would argue. Does it weigh the
2: waste as well?
3: You know, I was kind of wondering if it would, but I have not seen anything about that in this article. That doesn't mean there couldn't be a, a future iteration of it. but yes. This is a punchline. We can make fun of it. But at the same time, they are trying to look into different health benefits in a different and unique way that just kind of is icky when you think in, about it at first.
2: You know, guys, I'm old. I'm not that old, but I'm old. And I could see another 20, 25 years down the road where I wouldn't. Excuse <laughs> the expression. Give a crap. And I, would,
0: <laughs> I would want to use this. Oh, all I know is that you're never loaning me your spare C922 again.
3: It's the 920 that I used.
0: All right. Well, listener, um, you're still here. So, first off, sorry, congratulate <laughs> yourself on that one. Uh, if you want us to know a little more about whether you're interested in this, this or not, please tweet us at gonna geek on Twitter. And remember. The Chris Farrell, He's the one that you can thank for all of these images that you've had over the last, what's felt like three hours. When you tweet
3: us, make sure you use hashtag Dr. Toilet. You can use either <laughs> fully spelled out or abbreviated. I don't care.
0: So I heard that sometimes we do uh, non-toilet news points, and I'd like Blastphemy. to get there. I'd like Blastphemy. to get there right now, SP. <laughs>
2: I would I think, think that the vast majority of news points that we do are non-toilet <laughs> news points.
3: You guys are just jealous that only Suncast and I ever brought toilet news to the official geek.com show. That's what I'm hearing here. Jealous is far, far from what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, I need a stronger word. It's not strong enough, can, I realize. You know what
0: you need to do? You need to do an after hours program and you can to- call it a toilet talk tonight. That's what you can call it.
2: Yeah. You have plenty of time. You're going to be home more.
0: <sighs> All right. What's your news point before before like we lose the last laugh listener?
2: <laughs> well, in an ironic twist, we are talking about a pressure tank collapse. So, yeah, I I, I had to get from point A to point. C somehow, guys. Sorry about that. getting to point B? Yeah. Or point P. So (laughs) SpaceX Starship SN3 prototype collapsed last week in a pressure tank test. I got my information from a couple of articles, one from Space.com by Megan Bartles and one from SpaceNews.com by Jeff Faust. So guys, here's what's going on with SpaceX in the last week. I didn't think we'd get any SpaceX news since... I did my big, long thing, but apparently we are. So for the third time in less than five months, a prototype of SpaceX's Starship next generation launch vehicle was destroyed in a test at the company's South Texas facilities, April 3rd. Although this failure may be an issue with the test itself. Unfortunately, I didn't find any more information about that, but the test itself could be to blame. Here's what happened. The Starship SN3 vehicle was on the pad at SpaceX's test site for a cryogenic tanking test where the vehicle's propellant tanks are filled with liquid nitrogen. The test was intended to demonstrate that the SN3 prototype could withstand the high pressure of very cold fuel that such a vehicle will need to endure before flights. During the test, shortly after 3 a.m. Eastern time on April 3rd, SM-3 appeared to crumble about halfway up, causing the top part of the vehicle to topple, and then the whole thing kind of imploded. There's a couple of great YouTube videos on it. The cryogenic pressure test would have been followed by a static fire, which would have been the vehicle's engines lit briefly while CN-3 was held in place, and followed by a hopping test when sn 3 would have made the first flight of a full-size Starship prototype. How do I know this? Because the Federal Aviation Administration issued a notice to airmen, also known as NOTAM, on April 1st for the area around the test site for April 6th through the 8th, consistent with a static fire test of the vehicle. Now, the static fire test may have been followed by a low altitude hop test, similar to the August 2019 flight of its star hopper prototype, where the vehicle flew to an altitude of about 150 meters before landing on a nearby pad. On the one minute flight that test would have required an experimental permit from the FAA's office of commercial space transportation, which had yet to be issued. Now, what are the previous failures? We talked about them before on the show in November 2019. The Starship Mark one vehicle suffered a bulkhead failure during a similar test, sending debris flying. The company said at the time that the incident took place in a test intended to pressurize systems to the max, so the outcome was not completely unexpected. A second Starship vehicle, SN1, was also destroyed in a cryogenic taking test, February 28th, this time with the vehicle bursting near its base. Elon Musk, founder and chief executive of SpaceX, said the failure in that test appeared to be with in a, quote, thrust puck, unquote, at the base of the tank. That takes the load from the vehicle's Raptor engines now just to clarify because of the previous story we're not talking about like a urinal puck we're talking about a thrust puck it's totally different it's rockets in its origin okay guys Question. are they gonna Quest. put
3: a doctor toilet on the rockets when people are in them
2: I don't know if Dr Toilet will make its way to spacecraft matter of fact, I don't know if it's already on board the International See? Space Station. That was a
3: legit question that was semi-related to the topic at hand, but you would imagine this is the kind of stuff they would want to track, potentially, that bowel movements and whatnot could provide
2: info. Especially if you go to Mars and you need to farm potatoes. He's got to science the expletive out of things. That's right. So going on to the other failures, SpaceX decided to strip the next Starship vehicle, which was marked SN2, down to that tank. To test it and the performance of the thrust puck weld, those tests took place successfully on March 8th. So everything was good. The Starship SN3 failed test means that the company will presumably move on to the SN4 as it continues to sort out design issues. Guys, this is something that we haven't talked about either. So last week, SpaceX published the first version of a user's guide for the Starship vehicle. According to the six-page guide, the baseline reusable design of the system will be able to place more than 100 metric tons into low Earth orbit and 21 metric tons into geostationary transfer orbit with in-orbit propellant transfer. So, you refuel in space. SpaceX says that the Starship can carry more than 100 metric tons to the surface of the moon or of Mars. Now, a crewed version of the vehicle, the guide goes on to state, can accommodate up to 100 people with private cabins, large common areas, centralized storage, solar storm shelters, and a viewing gallery. SpaceX plans Starship launches from both Launch Complex 39A at the Kennedy Space Center and its Boca Chica facility in Texas. The guide, though, did not offer a schedule for beginning such missions or estimated prices. SpaceX has already signed at least one customer up for a Starship flight. We're talking about Japanese billionaire Yasuko Maezawa has booked a trip around the moon on the spacecraft with a target launch date of
0: 2023. So are they going to have lots of different videos to access in that gallery that you spoke of?
2: The gallery is a viewing gallery out into space. It but is not if, like a home theater. What
0: if I only like to watch one type of video that was referred to in the last segment?
2: Then you shouldn't be on the spaceship. Scrubs season,
3: Scrubs TV shows? You can watch that?
0: Exactly what I was referring
3: to. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: I don't think anybody that watches Scrubs should be on the spaceship. I mean, that's what? some dangerous comedy right there. Scrubs is delightful.
0: Uh, This seems like a pretty big failure, like um, failing a pressure tank test. That feels like they should be beyond this. Yeah, so the
2: first failure was basically a bulkhead failure, and they were pressurizing it to the max, and they admitted that they were just seeing what the limits were. Okay, so you expected it to blow up. Why didn't you tell anybody about it? This one, though, They tried everything and it still blew up. And now they're saying it's a problem with the test yet. They didn't say what that problem was. There was a few tweets, including Elon Musk himself, which said, we'll look at the data tomorrow, which was April 4th. I haven't seen anything in the news following that.
0: Nah, I have to say I'm I'm feeling less confident lately in SpaceX over the last month or so. They they had some high confidence for me, but I feel like I feel like they did really good at, at what they did well. And now there's they're, they're unknown, their their development is is not being it's being a failure. OK, I'll just, so you got multiple to not say that question. That
2: well, I mean, of course, it's going to be a failure. We failed a lot in the creation of our space program from NASA. I mean, it's not unprecedented what they haven't done yet is had a fatality so what have they developed they've developed the rockets the falcon 9 the falcon heavy or whatever they're calling the the big falcon rocket nowadays so they've got that going on there was a lot of failures with that remember they were trying to land the boosters down and a lot of them crashed or didn't land on the ship right or whatever Then they decided to go after the fairings. They had the two ships try to catch the fairings. That didn't work out for a while. They finally caught some, so that seems to be working now. They also were in the development of the Dragon crew capsule. They already have the Dragon capsule to go up to the International Space Station to deliver cargo, but they wanted to make a manned version out of it, and that ran into some developmental issues, which I'm glad they did it in development rather than in reality with humans on board. They seem to have all the kinks worked out. There's still slated for a launch later this year to the International Space Station with that. And now they're still in the failure mode of trying to figure out what this starship is actually capable of or what kind of design they really need to do it with. So these ships will be outperforming the shuttle in terms of launch rate and total launches per ship. They're going to have to be developed pretty robustly. And if they got to break a few in the process, they got to break a few. Is this something that I wish that they would have gone through without breaking as many? Probably, but it's spectacular. I mean, maybe he's doing it for that factor. I don't know.
0: I guess time will tell. I just, like I said, my personal confidence is, is not... As high as it was, and and I was I was feeling really good about them for a while. But what do I know? I'm just a schmuck who has a podcast that that knows nothing about space or anything. So
3: so who are you feeling good about then? Ah,
2: uh,
0: nobody or anyone. Um, no, okay, that's no fair. nobody. Uh, right now, um,
2: well, it's not Apple, so maybe it's Google.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I know you were referring to to space companies. I just. I've not seen I'm not feeling the same way I was at this point last year about all of the different companies that was out there. I, I was feeling a lot more optimistic.
3: I know why. He's too distracted by the upcoming Cybertruck. He can't wait to get one, too.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I am very I'm, excited for that. And and I know what SP's saying. He's saying, how can you guys like that? I hate the Cybertruck. But no, Chris, no, don't Chris take I. my shtick
3: away. <laughs> you, you have blessed me with that being my shtick, and I can't get away from it. I, I cannot allow you to put that stink on someone else now.
2: I believe I'm the only one here that's put a down payment on one.
3: Yeah, because I'd rather have a Model Y. Sure. Do you have yeah. a down
2: payment on a Model
3: Y? No, because I just bought a new car less than a year <laughs>
0: Okay. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. I hope that pretty soon you'll bring us some more success stories, Sp, because we need better stories. Because so far the first two have been failures. Uh, I I don't
2: know if the first one is a fail. It's a failed news story. Like it shouldn't have been a news story. (laughs) So that that's the first one. The second one was about a fail. It was news about a failure. That's true. So it's a little different.
0: That's true. You, your story was a success. The content was a fail. W- sounds wrong, but the the, mer- the the nature of the content was a failure. And then again it was about a failure. It was about a failure. Dr. Toilet, we'll just leave that in the past. Then,
3: that was informative science. We went hard on science. And I, I hope don't Cody think Goff it was has science. a story on Dr. Toilet on Curiosity Daily. Can
0: we just move on from number two and get on to the third story? Please. Just bear down, Steven. <gasps> All right. So Google has made some changes to a a controversial, controversial, I should say, upcoming uh, change that we're going to see in Chrome. So what they've done is they've basically stepped back on some proposed changes and some changes that we're actually rolling out. What happened was Google stated in a blog post that they are going to roll back the same site cookie changes that they had previously started to roll out in February. Essentially, what was going to happen was they were going to be enforcing uh, secure by default handling of third-party cookies as part of the effort to improve privacy and security. It's just one of those things that essentially they are restricting what Chrome will allow. And unfortunately, this type of cookie is something that was well used throughout the internet a while ago. But what they decided to do is hold off on that and they're going to actually roll back any of the changes for any of the users who had seen this because of COVID-19 right now. They said that it's just not the time and that with all of the circumstances with COVID-19, they just think that it makes more sense to roll these back, but have clearly stated this is a temporary rollback. It will continue to happen at a later date. So, I thought that this was good because there must be some form of recognition that people aren't going to be able to make the changes that are necessary in order to uh, meet the Chrome security change. And it made me think what other things that they've announced might we see them pump the brakes on. For example, they did announce that they were going to, um, and I wrote a blog post over on betterpodcasting.com. They announced that by the end of the year, they're going to make it so that you cannot download a insecure file from a secure site. Basically, if you're on an HTTPS site, by the end of the year, if you click on a link to download a file, like uh, an EXE, an MP3, anything, that file will have to be hosted also on a secure site, HTTPS. That was something they announced and it was going to be a staggered rollout. And I'm just curious, is this also eventually going to be uh, you know, held back on? Uh, and what other changes? Because this is not an unusual thing for Chrome to do. They do this every year. They pick something that they feel is the next evolution of security. And they say, webmasters get in line, smarten up, or you might lose people from our browser. And most people understand the reason why it's necessary. And so they go and they make the changes. But if we're seeing them pump the brakes on this one, what else might we see? In any case, if you are a webmaster that was concerned about this, well... Number one, see if you could still make the change. Uh, but but two, know you've got a little bit more time. What's your thoughts on this, Chris Farrell? I know that you personally were worried about cookies. Uh, that's something you told me offline, that you were worried about being able to get more cookies. C is for cookie. <laughs> cookies. Cookies <laughs> for me.
3: Mmm. <laughs> I-, I want a cookie now. What kind of cookie? Ooh. This isn't going to be a popular choice, but I want an oatmeal raisin, but okay. chewy oatmeal raisin, not like the ones that are like the crunchy and flake apart, but the ones that have a little bend and give to them.
0: Well, the bonus is once you get your doctor toilet, we can also, you know, never mind, I'll leave that alone.
3: Don't be gross, Steven. This has a t- this has medical purposes, and you went down the gross path. Come on, now. We expect more solid plans from you. <laughs> solid.
0: Uh... Mm-hmm. I knew what I said. <laughs> Don't judge me. Uh, Sp anything about the Cookie Chrome? <laughs> <laughs> the Cookie Chrome. <crumb. laughs> Let's just go ahead and move on to our extra. This is a disaster of an episode.
2: <laughs> uh, no, I I I need to go back and say something about this story for Chrome and everything. So a lot of people can't work right now because of various issues, and there's some people that are working because they're remote, and that. Is an issue with hardware and software. Hardware side, I mean, I'm looking for a new Apple TV, right? And that's not coming out. It was supposed to be announced last month, and it's not coming out. Probably because a variety of factors, including uh, manufacturing issues in China or Asia for its entirety, uh, the iPhone might not actually launch this fall on time, like it normally does. So that's hardware. Software, you also have issues. And what concerns me about that, especially if we're talking about security patches, is that somebody that doesn't give a rip about working in isolation or not is a hacker. And those hackers probably work together. I mean, some of them are solo, but they're used to working in this sort of environment of being distributed and not being all together and stuff like that. And they're going to exploit vulnerabilities as they see them more so now because they have more time with the same vulnerabilities than before. So we're entering into a dangerous time because hackers aren't taking time off.
0: That's a really good point. And I actually hadn't considered that. The fact that internet use probably is up right now. And and also uh, just probably a little bit. internet probably. use. In, well, more than just Netflix, okay, because this isn't going to affect your streaming service and Pornhub.
3: Don't forget Pornhub. But Hub. free premium uh, really. Right
0: but that's more people using it and more people using it in an insecure location than they would have because let's be honest, a lot of people use their work computers for things they shouldn't be using their work computers for, but they benefit from the security that their corporate environment has. And now a lot of people are working at home. It's a really good point, SP, than one that I hadn't considered. So. Yeah, I'm glad that they recognize now that I think about it. I'm glad they recognize that this might cause problems, but I think they probably should have continued. You changed my mind, SP.
3: No, SP's right. This is too much of a tenuous time right now where staffing is weird and things like that. The last thing you need to do is roll out a change like this. You have half your IT staff off site because they are supporting remotely and that's shaky at best. And all of a sudden people can't download things properly. Whether it's a good idea or not prior to that is a separate debate. Whether it's a good idea to do that in today's current
2: situation, it is not a good idea. So there's two aspects of everything. There's the aspect of the developing of the new stuff to make sure it's secure. But there's also the aspect of protecting what you have now. And that's my point. There's going to be new vulnerabilities or even old vulnerabilities that are just going to persist longer than you want. So that will make systems and software and personal information more vulnerable in the next six to 12 months than they would have been had the world not come to a stop.
0: Suncast in the chat. That's right. We stream this live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at Geeks.Live. He brings up a really interesting point, and it's, it's basically why did they continue to go through with this change when they had the time to not implement it in the first place? So they started to roll this out when they knew that the whole shelter at home thing was coming like and continued to roll it out. So I think it's an interesting point and I guess maybe somebody overlooked it or perhaps somebody was just too busy googling doctor toilet. I'm not sure.
3: It's a great segment on scrubs. What are you judging for?
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, moving on to our extra extra, we just got one quick hit here and not two. We got two quick hits here. I apologize. I don't know if we have two or not. I was trying to make a number two. Jim. Oh, fair enough. Well, we have one quick hit here. We'll stick with number one. And uh, it's all about the Pixel. Uh, we talked about how when the Pixel 4 and the 4XL came out, there was some criticism about the fact that they implemented the um face unlocking, but without actually having to have your eyes opened. It was a really questionable decision that they made. Well, they did start. It was to, dumb. It was stupid. Uh, they is, would, would you like to slam on it as well? SP? Chris and I both got that. Would you like to chime in here? I'm going to let that one pass. Okay, fair enough. So anyways, it was stupidly dumb. And so they ended up this month rolling out a update that does give you the ability to make it's so that you have to have your eyes open to unlock. So a well overdue update. I don't know why they even tried to roll this out without having that feature in. It just opened them to a bunch of criticism and rightfully so. So Chris Farrell, you'll be pleased to know that your, four, your Pixel 4 XL that you own, you can now have this feature.
3: Pixel 4 XL? I still have my 2 XL, which is no longer supported in what, six months? Something like that. It's going to be a sad day. And I I think I'm getting the Pixel 4a. But that's neither here nor there. And the 4a hasn't officially released yet. So we'll save that for a future episode. I think
0: you and I are going to continue to be very close Pixel Buddies. I think so. Are we going to be Pixel Buddies? We are. I don't have it loaded. I I don't have it loaded. I'm sorry. Um, But that's because the Stream Deck is a problem. Uh, No, it's not. (laughs) Don't blaspheme.
3: You're terrible. You blasphemed
0: about Stream Deck. No, I love my Stream Deck. Daddy Stream Deck loves us. My Stream Deck's not my only stream that I like, uh, but uh, also, sorry, I couldn't resist. I, I Sorry, I, I let this go. I'm goes, so sorry I did this story now. SP Space Symposium. <laughs> Save us, SP.
2: I will. So this is one that I've been looking forward to for a while, and I had to actually skip around a little bit to get to it. But I thought this is the perfect night for it. So we're going to be talking about Pioneer 10, which is a space probe. This is wait, SP wait, space. Is,
0: is this you? Is this you, the tenth version of you? No, no. He's a
2: clone. Yeah, because oh there was God. an eleven. But we'll get to that later Okay, so this is SP Space Symposium What I've been doing since episode 136 Is talking about different things in space We talked about space telescopes We moved on to orbiting probes around the Earth Now we're talking about different probes That are going out into the solar system Chris, do you know what number Space Symposium That we are on tonight? X Where
3: X is a positive integer. And X equals? A Y equals Y.
2: (sighs) This is the 31st (laughs) space symposium, Chris. 31st. You've listened to 30 of these so far.
3: X and Y equal 31. You're the one that just hadn't defined X and Y. (laughs) I told you it was X and Y. The math is solid here.
2: (laughs) It's going to be one of those nights. (laughs)
3: <laughs> All right.
2: So what makes Pioneer 10 so positive other than sharing my name? It's because it was the first spacecraft not only to travel through the asteroid belt, but it was the first spacecraft to make direct observation and obtain close-ups of the planet Jupiter. Wow. wow I was hoping it was Uranus just to go with this first story. <laughs>
3: We made Steven walk off. I'm I'm
2: sorry, SP. I just ruined your segment, didn't I? So that planet was actually not in the segment whatsoever be- <laughs> I
3: just wanted it to be.
2: it's it's not. It's there's there's no issue of Uranus in <laughs> the story on Let's Pioneer just 10. To
3: toilet diagnosed. It.
2: <laughs> I I'm going to stop now. Please. I'm going to stop. Okay, so we're going to talk about Pioneer 10, just like we have all the other space probes. What kind of orbit is it in? It's in a heliocentric orbit, which is not entirely true. Why is that, Chris? Why wouldn't it not be a heli... If it's going from one planet to the other, why would it not be in a heliocentric orbit?
3: Well, I am but a lowly uh, non-rocket scientist, so I don't know without consulting Wikipedia,
2: SP. Okay, that's fair. So you do you know what the definition of a heliocentric orbit is?
3: At one point in time, I probably did. Sadly, it's basically I do not an remember. orbit
2: around the sun. Okay. So it's orbiting around the sun. So what would make a voyage from one planet to the other where you're still flying in space not a heliocentric orbit? That it keeps expanding to go further and further out. And that's I, right. Hey! It doesn't orbit the sun. It I feel is like I just leaving learned. the solar system. Do you know, Chris, we're going to ask Stephen this. So okay. just you and me, because we talked about it while he was gone. Stephen, how many probes do have? We sent off out there that have the velocity to escape the solar system. Five. It is five. Wow. Name them. Name them.
0: Uh, there was. um this sh- and uh-huh. also the other f- uh-huh. f- 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 uh-huh. and then there was the f- f- and the, f- f- and the f- you know
2: you know two of them off the top of your head.
0: Uh, Pioneer it's... Ten.
2: Well, okay, since <laughs> we're talking about it, but what are other two that you know?
0: Uh I don't know. Um, uh, oh, Voyager, Voyager one, 1 and and Voyager, Voyager two, 2. right? And, That's right. Mm-hmm. So I got three of them.
2: No. No, no, Feature's not one of them. It's Voyager 1, Voyager 2, Pioneer 10, Pioneer 11, and then my pal, my buddy, it went by MU69. What is it, Stephen?
0: I don't remember. I'm sorry. New, New Horizons. Right, right. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I failed you. I completely failed you there, SV. I apologize.
2: You have. So, for the last I, I time, for this, this is all good. Okay. So it was launched, Pioneer 10, was launched on March 2nd, 1972. I am older than this Pioneer 10, but okay. So it was launched then. It was launched on an Atlas Centaur TE364-4 launch vehicle from Cape Canaveral on pad 36A. What made this rocket so special was that it was the first use of the Atlas Centaur as a three-stage launch vehicle. Now, the third stage was required to propel Pioneer 10 to the speed of 52,000 kilometers per hour, which is for us Americans 32,400 miles per hour. And it was needed for the flight to Jupiter. This made Pioneer 10 the fastest man made object to leave the Earth, fast enough to pass the moon in just 11 hours. Remember, it was a three day trip with the Apollo astronauts and to cross the Mars orbit about 80 million kilometers or 50 million miles away in just 12 weeks in a flight path that we normally take in a home and transfer orbit to go six months. So this thing was smoking fast. This was like a Tesla just rocking out of the starting blocks and just blowing every gas guzzling engine away. Like a Tesla Roadster sailing through space. Or a Cybertruck, a three-engine Cybertruck with a zero to 60 in 1.2 seconds. So this was a project that was controlled or ran by NASA Ames, who managed the project. It wasn't JPL. It wasn't Goddard. It was NASA Ames, who did the entire Pioneer program. It launched with a mass of 258.8 kilograms, or about 571 pounds, which is about half the weight of a Tesla Cybertruck battery. So the dimensions of the Pioneer 10 bus alone was about 36 centimeters or 14 inches deep with a six uh, long panels that were 76 centimeters or 30 inch long. And it formed this hexagonal structure. It had a huge communication dish on it. And then it had huge arms on it, just like you see in the Voyager pictures. So this was a big probe that was launched in 1972. The mission was to go to the planet Jupiter. It was the first time that we went to Jupiter. And it also became the first artificial object to achieve the escape velocity that will allow it to leave the solar system. Pioneer 10 was NASA's first mission to the outer planet. So it was the first mission beyond Mars. Uh, The mission was a spectacular success, and the spacecraft notched a series of firsts, which was unmatched by any other robotic spacecraft to date. It was a huge success in 1972. The spacecraft was only designed for a 21-month mission, but it lasted more than 30 years. We'll get into the end of life in a second here. So what are some of the first? Let's go through them. It was the first spacecraft on a trajectory to escape the solar system into interstellar space. We covered that. It was the first spacecraft to fly beyond Mars. We covered that. It was the first spacecraft to fly through the main asteroid belt. And yes, it took some hits, but it kept on ticking. It was the first spacecraft to fly past Jupiter, and it crossed the orbit of not Uranus, but Neptune, to become the first human-made object to go beyond Neptune. And it was the first spacecraft to use an all-nuclear electrical power plant, which is not found on the Cybertruck.
3: Yet. (laughs) Someone's going to mod one to do it. You know it because of the way it looks. They'll be like, ha-ha, it's my post-apocalyptic nuclear-powered vehicle. And then we're all going to die in nuclear fire.
2: Has to be nuclear fire? Well, I mean, that just, just, just being sounds normal fire better on paper. Okay. I mean,
3: it'll probably just be regular fire, but now, it's more colorful. If you would colorful. have said Judgment Day, I would have gone with yeah. that, too. But
2: the language is more colorful if you describe it as nuclear fire. Okay. So this was part of a suite of Pioneer satellites that were sent up. We actually talked about some before that was taking solar radiation, uh, solar wind measurements throughout the inner solar system, and it had various different models that went through. So 10 was the first one to actually shoot off and go into outer space. And because it had the history of taking like solar wind measurements and stuff like that, it had those instruments on it. So when it passed Jupiter, its mission didn't go away. It kept on taking measurements of the solar wind and the solar radiation as it sailed out of the solar system. It had a payload of a bunch of scientific instruments, at least six of which operated fully as it transpired past Jupiter. And that encounter was phenomenal. This was the first time that we had close up pictures of Jupiter. I put some in the document and this was a, a, a NASA data dump a few years ago that they went out and they did all of the pioneer 10 and pioneer 11 photos of Jupiter. And this is where. We were able to see the big red spot close up for the first time. This is where we got an inkling of the moons, all the moons and the possibility that there were rings, although I don't think we actually visualized the rings until the Voyager series. But this was phenomenal. This was just imagine that you've got this big honking planet in the solar system, the biggest thing outside the sun that's out there. And we hadn't taken a look at it until this thing went by in 1973. This was amazing.
0: So what you're saying is that they had a camera that saw this big honking thing and they looked at the dark spot. Sounds very familiar to our first story.
2: Pioneer 10 passed by Jupiter within 130,000 kilometers or 81,000 miles of the cloud tops on December 3, 1973. So, yeah, this was... Uh, a year and a half in the making to get there. Some of the key dates of the mission: it was launched on March 2nd of 1972. It entered the asteroid belt on July 15th, 1972. I mentioned that it took some hits. It did some micro asteroid impacts, but it didn't impact the spacecraft. It didn't change anything with the spacecraft. It had its closest approach to Jupiter on December 4th, 1973. In February 1976, it crossed Saturn's orbit on June 13th, 1983. It crossed the orbit of Neptune on March 31st, 1997. It had its routine contact with the spacecraft terminated. And on January 23rd, 2003, Pioneer 10's last signal was received by Earth. There was a final attempt to contact Pioneer 10 on March 4th. 2006 which failed so end of life was january 23rd 2003 and as we mentioned at the top of this segment it is one of five objects that are conceivably outside the solar system very difficult to tell if it is actually out of the solar system because we're not receiving any data from it like we were from voyager 1 and voyager 2 so we can ascertain that they're outside of the solar system and the same goes with pioneer 11 so They are far enough to be considered outside the solar system, but you're not actually taking any of those measurements to say for sure whether it's out of the solar system or not. Interestingly enough, it's on a flight path to go by a star in the constellation of Taurus. So that's where it's heading, but none of us will be around to actually see that.
0: So one of the things that I think is interesting about this, and maybe it's just the scale, I don't know. But when I, I look at the pictures that you post in here, it's pretty amazing to me the, the difference in size, like when you see people up against them with, with between the different probes that they made sort of within the same era, the same 10, 15 years. So it's pretty crazy to me um, the difference in size. And this one looks like relatively small compared to some of the other ones. And is that why it, may, it was so successful of just making it through the belt?
2: I don't think size had anything to do with it making it through the belt. I think the size is a determination of how much mass you can actually propel along the orbital trajectory that you're trying to navigate your item through. I mean, this was a shot to go through Jupiter. It was a direct shot. It wasn't taking advantage of any uh, gravitational assist from any of the planets, which we've really done a good job ever since then. I mean, Galileo is an example, and Magellan These spacecraft went out into the outer uh, planets and they took advantage of gravitational assists of a lot of things. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 did gravitational assists to get as far as they did. This was a straight shot. This was just this big honking rocket that was used to propel as much mass as they could out there. You're talking about as many as redundancies that you can throw on this thing. You're talking about miniaturization wasn't all that great back then. We could probably send Chris's pixel up to Jupiter right now and it would have more computing power than this thing had at the time and more sensors on it, quite frankly, too. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we were able to do this in 1972 with the size is just a matter of how much mass that we could throw along that orbital trajectory.
0: Ah, uh, well, thank you for sharing again, SP. Uh, I always appreciate when you do SP Space Symposium, even though we may have made a couple of jokes because Chris completely derailed the show. Uh, it, it, I do truly appreciate it because I've talked about it before. And I, I think that especially now more than ever, um, we need to remember that if we don't talk about space stuff, we end up kind of getting a little bit complacent with it. And I think that's what we saw through the 90s. And so I'm, I'm glad to see all of this development happening right now. And I enjoy the fact that there is a lot of people passionate about space history again. And I appreciate that you're always willing to share your knowledge on this show so that we can enlighten some other people as well. So thank you.
2: You bet. Next time I'm going to be talking about Mariner 9. Chris, do you have any idea why we we'll would be talking about Mariner 9? Because it's next up on your list. (laughs) Good answer. That's a good answer. It happened to be the first spacecraft to orbit another planet. So we're going to be talking about Mariner 9, the successes of it, and why it was so monumental.
0: Nice. If you have a request for SP to cover something in the future to do with space, please tweet us at Stargate Pioneer on Twitter. You should tell him what you would like to see him cover. And maybe he'll shake up that list eventually. You never know. Maybe he'll make like a uh, SP Space Symposium bonus or extra, or maybe he'll just go and uh, I don't know, just reply to you on Twitter with the answer. I don't know. Uh,
2: <laughs> maybe I think I'm thinking of a Patreon exclusive there.
0: Oh, Ooh. I guess one of us got to get a Patreon then.
2: It's
3: right. Patreon.com <laughs> slash Stargate Pioneer.
0: <laughs> no,
2: that doesn't exist yet. I-, I bet you JS has one though. <laughs>
3: Patreon.com slash Ironman Ice Cream Kid. That's a callback.
0: That's a callback. <laughs> That's a callback. <sighs> All right. Well, now that we've suffered through episode 327, uh, we should just take a moment to see if there's anything that you would like to plug or promote. Let's start it off with Mr. Pioneer.
2: If you like talking about podcasting, or if you're just trying to figure out What should I do to try to, you know, for a hobby as I'm trying to stream out? You can come join us on our live chats every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. at geeks.live and Stephen and I can answer your questions live or you can actually download our latest episode and go to betterpodcasting.com and check out all the ways that we would recommend on how to start a podcast during the COVID-19 stay-at-home order.
0: I'll go ahead and go next, and i just like to let everybody know. If you have any questions about podcasting or anything like that, you can always check us out every other Tuesday at geeks.live at 8 p.m. Eastern. And also, if you haven't checked out uh, the most recent episode of Better Podcasting, you can. We talked all about if you're thinking of starting a podcast during the COVID-19 situation, you check that out at betterpodcasting.com. Chris, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote?
3: Sure, real quick on the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast. We are still working on assembling the Cabin Fever playlist, as we're calling it, since we are all staying at home due to COVID-19. We're trying to compile a list of different things people can watch, game, read, that'll keep them entertained during this time. So if you have any suggestions, you can go to the official All Things Good and Nerdy channel on Discord at geeks.link slash Discord, or go feel free to add to the Google Doc that's out there at bit.ly slash ATGNCabinFever. Please give us some more suggestions for what should be on the cabin fever playlist. You guys know we're all watching a ton of different things. There's a lot of things to entertain ourselves while we're stuck at home.
2: You know, my sister, my brother in law, and my nephew literally have cabin fever right now. Like they're at the cabin, they've been sequestered there since this whole thing started. They, you know, they literally have cabin. Never mind.
0: I thought that you were talking about either the 2002 or the 2016 movies called Cabin Fever. That was better than where I thought he was going to go. Or apparently 1998. Uh, Or the sequel to the... If I was
2: going to talk about one of those, I would talk about Contagion, which I'm never going to talk about Contagion anymore because we're living it.
0: Fair enough. Well, on that note, for episode number 327 of the official Geek.com show, I'm Stephen John Drew, saying that I'm pretty sure Picard would like Dr. Toilet because all he ever talked about was number one.
2: And I'm SP saying, I don't think Picard needs Dr. Toilet anymore.
3: And I'm Chris Farrell, paging Dr. Toilet. Dr. Toilet to the third floor, please. Paging Dr. Toilet.
0: Bye.
1: (laughs) Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageekcom forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.